This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com All right, folks, very happy to be back here with Christine O'Connor, the executive director of the Alaska Telecom Association. Thank you. It's fun to be here. That's a hand. It's a lot to say. It is. That's why we go ATA, but then there are other ATAs out there, so we have to be a little careful, but it's a lot. I was going to say, I can't think of one, but I know there's another ATA, I'm sure. I think there's Alaska Transportation or Transport Association. Oh, Alaska Trucking Association. Yes, we tripped over them. We were in Juneau. and Aves Thompson, right? We kept saying ATA, and they're like, oh, ask us about things we didn't know about, so... Alaska a, Telecom. You guys have a truck? No, um, we have no truck. So there's a lot I want to talk about with you. Uh, obviously, the telecom stuff. But before that, you have a very kind of interesting background here in Alaska, maybe different than most people. So talk a little bit about how you were bo- where you were born and then sure. tell me you lived in all these like Dillingham and Southeast because sure. your dad. Yeah. So sure. I think um, it's very Alaskan. So my, on my mom's side of the family, they came up uh, during the Depression that their brothers and sisters were part of the Mat- Matsu Colony Project. Oh, the, the, the land? Yeah. Farmland? Yeah. So they were farmers from Wisconsin. So um, my grandma came up a couple years after that to join her sisters and brothers that were here already um, and had my mom. And my mom, born and raised here in Anchorage. And then I was born in Elmendorf. Because your, your mom was born in 1945? Mm-hmm. And she's still here? Yeah. Yep. She lives in Spinard with her husband. I, I got to so, do a podcast with her. She's awesome. Wow. She's right? awesome. So she was, she, she was earthquake, the whole thing. Oh yeah. She was in high school um, for the earthquake. I asked her about it once and they were out at the farm in the Butte at her grandma's farm when the earthquake hit and they went outside and she said it just was long, lots of rolling. She said, hanging on to a fence. Then when they got home to their house in Chugak, it had repaired the crack in their fireplace. They had a rock fireplace that had a crack in it. And it had got squished together. So, wow! I'm probably garbling that story because it's one I haven't asked her about for a while. But yeah, That's she's crazy. got a great history. I mean, here. this one in 2018 was a minute or a minute, minute and a half. The 64 one was like five minutes. Yeah, crazy. So yeah. you were born at Elmendorf. Yep. But so, and then brother and a sister, and my dad got out of the Air Force, and he joined the troopers. So really, they joined the troopers because immediately he was transferred to Juneau, then to Ketchikan. Then to Craig, went to kindergarten in Craig, and remember that pretty well. Then to Salatna, then to Moose Pass for quite a while. Back in the day, so this is early 70s, according to what I was always told, they liked to transfer the troopers every year. So they moved them around quite a bit, which showed in our track record. But we stayed in Moose Pass for seven years. And then I was just going into high school, and we transferred out to Dillingham. And then high school Dillingham. So you, you went to high school all four years in Dillingham? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, the way I've heard before, when you become a trooper, the kind of, the, the joke is like, you, you, you're prepared to go to like the middle of nowhere for, like don't the new ones go to the kind of far reaches, the, the bush or? 
You know, this, that is what I've heard too. Uh, back in the day, you know, I was a preschooler and we were bouncing around Southeast. So I'm sure they've changed it since then. But um, I've read through, my dad kept, you know, handwritten notes of his work in a little notebook. So we've got, my brother has all of those from his career. How long so was he a trooper for? He retired in 86. So 17 years. And then oh. he had two years Anchorage Fire Department. He probably saw a lot during the he whole pipeline, all the crazy, the money and lot. all the crime going on. He and saw a lot. Wow. Yep. He's, he had great stories and he wrote all of his notes from being on work um, down. I was looking at one this spring from when he was stationed in Craig and he, someone broke into the local bar and laundry and stole all the quarters. And so you can follow through several days of investigation as he tracked down the people that robbed the place and they were giving each other, giving their friends quarters. So it's just Man. different times. I'd love to look at those notes. That'd probably be. Oh yeah. Good. Good, 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 some good stories in there. Good stories in there. So, okay. So, wow. So you've, you have like the rule and the herb, you've kind of both. Yeah. Moved to Wasilla in 2005. So, um, I spent most of my life out in the bush. Um, now we live in Wasilla, which, um, it's kind of a happy medium between city and urban. You know, you have so many amenities. I still can't get over having, you know, access to groceries and all of this stuff that, you know, we just, it was a little bit harder when you lived in the bush. And you're a commercial fisherman too, right? Yeah, I'm a set netter in Bristol Bay, did mighty use, new shigak. Do you just go this this the season? Or? I just got back last weekend. How was it? Uh, it was good. Lots of fish. You know, the runs are super healthy. Record runs coming in. Is that because of the COVID? Um, like I have less, no less, idea. Less people fishing, maybe? Or? No, uh-uh. we had a pretty good uh, effort. Lots of COVID precautions, which went super successful. So I mean, was there is there some commercial element to like the less commercial or no? Like the big. We had a good effort. You know, most of the permit holders showed up. Um, everybody was very careful to quarantine and self-isolate. So uh, we caught a lot of fish. The prices are coming in low. Um, I think just uncertainty in mm-hmm. everything. So um, set netting, and I don't fish much, but set nettings that's very different than like a boat. Yes. So you- we are more different than even set netting. Most set netting is with a skiff, and mm-hmm. this, the net has to be set in one place. We use a set net, but we are shore-based, so we have a beach uh, that we can work our nets off the beach and not have to go in skiffs unless there's a problem. Now, are you? The, is this the one where you hear the stories of, like, they say five minutes and, blah, you know, if you're not done, then you get, like, in trouble or something? Where they, oh, yeah. They close the deal? There's a very set time window where you better have your net out when the period closes or, yeah, you'll get a fine and you'll lose your gear, you'll lose your fish, you'll have to go to court with your ticket. Yeah. So there's no, like, kind of grace period yeah. deal there's there? There's no ish here. <laughs> <laughs> there was a new fisherman on our beach this year that apparently didn't under, just didn't know the rules brand new and um, the period was about to close and one of our friends was driving by and just saw that his net was still out and they like, Rushed down there. So it's like, you got to get your net out right now or you're going to be in trouble. And he's like, well, I think I'll wait till the water comes in. And we're like, no, that's not how this works. This is the rules. So yeah, it's super strict and it needs to be, you know, people respect that because that that's why we have such a successful fishery is that, you know, we do abide by the rules. So you have a permit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, is, it a, is it an IFQ or? No, it's a limited entry permit. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. My husband and I each have one. So those are, those are, set right you can't you can only there's only so many of them that exist right right it's only a certain number um they sell all the time you know you can buy them from someone else i got mine we purchased from um my husband's grandfather and then my husband got his is there a big market is there a big market like are there a lot of people that want them or i think so i've never looked because i haven't wanted to sell one but so how long do you go out there for is it a month or six six weeks so you just that's kind of 
with your job now you tell them hey i gotta leave for six <laughs> weeks every um i am really happy and thankful that my job is flexible flexible but i do a lot of telecommuting from bristol bay with this you know you got phone access i use a HughesNet internet connection mm-hmm. which is painful HughesNet. HughesNet. i used to work in gci as you know uh, and we had some clients out in the end of the bush or the alaska that had the HughesNet, and it's like oh god it's about because if you're in Anchorage or a fair, you know, when you have gigabit speed and then you go to this like really satellite, still, I've been back for a week. I'm like, oh my gosh, this internet's amazing. I have MTA at my house in the valley out there. HughesNet, it gets a job done, it lets me work from Fish Camp, which I really appreciate. But 20 to 30 seconds to load your Gmail page, I mean, I don't have that kind of attention span, <laughs> so yeah, I'm constantly like, where is it? What am so, I doing? We're so spoiled, we're so spoiled with like technology now and internet speeds and. I mean, it's table stakes now, though. You really have to have it to be effective. So it, it is work, but it's also mm-hmm. uh, worth going out there for a fishing season. So Bristol, so Dillingham. So were you there when Bryce Edgerman had the tie? When he, no, I think we had moved F- to the valley 05. by then. Yeah, I think that might have been 06. Yeah, or maybe so, 08. Somewhere I think it was in 06. There. Yeah, so he, he had a tie. Mm-hmm. Literally, they flipped the coin. Yeah, yeah. Mo, was it Carl Moses? Is that yeah. Carl Moses? I think so. I think, yeah, I remember wow, that. Crazy. Yeah, and he's still there. You gotta say every every vote counts, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So you must know. I mean, being Dillingham, you must know a lot of everybody. Kind of knows everybody. Oh yeah, it, you know we've been we've moved 15 years ago, so new people. I'm kind of air quoting because it it's a small any small town. You know, people that have been there a long time and people less time. You know, you got new people and long timers. Um, so there's new people that have come since we've been gone. I don't know, but you know, all of our families that have been there forever. My so, husband was born out there. So you know, you must know. So Bryce Hedgeman then pretty, pretty oh, sure. well. You know so Bryce. when you go to Juno, you're like, hey, hey yes. Mr. Speaker. <laughs> I am. Hey, I'm buddy. like, hey, Mr. Speaker. Nice job. That's how we first met, I think. So we were in Juno. was it this year or last? It must have been this year, maybe last year. I think it was this year. You guys sure. were having dinner. Yeah. Tell it. This is pre-COVID, back mm-hmm. normal. And I was there with some people, and then Tyson was there with you. Mm-hmm. And all the, it was like all the, I like, I, uh, telecom folks. And yes. Because we're having a little party. We had, we've had every year in February, uh, myself and um, representatives of my member companies, we fly to Juno, talk about telecom, answer questions. Uh, so we were having dinner. Oh, what's the name of that place? Really good uh, food. That's that really nice. Oh. oh my God, I forgot the name of it. It's right anyway. there in downtown. Yeah, we were having dinner. And um, yeah, and you popped in. We were having a just you had I think we had uh, kind of a power table you guys had a lot of a lot of folks there we had yeah we had it's a good group yeah really good representatives for broadband so I worked in for GCI I worked for two small IT firms and then GCI uh, bought the company I was working for in 2015 so I ended up working at GCI for a little over a year and then I went okay. into the commercial sales but I think most people you know they they get their internet but when I was at GCI for example you know I was commercial sales so part of it was I had like the downtown West Anchorage area. And then you go to these businesses that want fiber, they want, you know, and they don't have it. And I think most, the public doesn't understand the kind of, the, the sometimes the costs and then just the, the, the kind of elaborate work that needs to be done to get people internet. I mean, we all have internet, we all have mm-hmm. like electricity, we all have gas and like, like any utility. I don't think people realize how much goes into, especially if you're like living far away mm-hmm. and you're in a house or a cabin or something and you want, it's, it's not cheap to, yeah. To, to, to do this stuff. And it's, it's a big challenge in Alaska, I guess, with Huge. telecom getting people internet and, you know, even, even bigger communities where it's hard to get it out there. Well, it, it's a huge infrastructure. Um, when you think about the electric grid, you know, telecom grid is very, very much par- parallel, huge cost to get it built and then operate it. I actually had a similar job. I was doing uh, uh, outside sales. We called it at MTA about, I don't know, 
10 years ago, um, where you go in and you talk to a big business and they say, I really need to have this. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to go back and see, figure out what the cost is to install it, to run whatever service they want. Um, it, it's not definitely not like uh, flicking a switch, but well, you have you to look at kind of done. what the revenues will be and over mm -hmm. you know so many years, mm -hmm. and then once in a while, um, I won't I won't say any examples. But once in a while, you, you're looking at the the schematic or the kind of the, the the fiber grid or whatever, and you'll be trying to get fiber across the street wherever it is, and for a business to to, to get because you know if it's a salesperson, that's how you make your money. You right. sell it, you know revenue. Right. And once in a while, you'd see something and you'd say like. How does that person have a fiber connection? And you're like, start looking around. You're like, oh, mm. oh I never <laughs> tripped over that. <laughs> Who do they know? <laughs> <laughs> I did not trip over that. Out I've seen in that. The a few, I saw that a few times. But what I did run into is you would have someone that needed a really good connection, and they they have a, a cabin like somewhere in the sticks, and there's just nothing there, and the cost to get service to them is just prohibitive. And then that person's very frustrated, understandably, but you're like, hey, you know it's going to cost X, 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 X to mm -hmm. get what you want. So well, it's the same thing. into that. I have a friend who has a cabin um, on a smaller lake out by Big Lake mm -hmm. and they, they, um, they're generator based and it's mm -hmm. kind of on the road system and it's not too like far off the road system, but mm -hmm. to get the electricity, they have to build three poles, right? I guess to get, and they're about 10 grand a pop. So, you know, they, they need to go and then they're just trying to get the neighbors to go in and they're mm -hmm. kind of like, Oh, we don't fucking want it. You know, yeah, yeah. they're trying to like, like lower the cost. Yeah. But same kind of deal, you know, they have, they have to, they, you can't have the utilities cover all these costs if they're going to get yeah. like a very small. Yeah. So the ATA, so you're representing all the you know, MTA and GCI and. All of the Alaska based telecoms. Ketchikan, what is mm -hmm. it? Um, KPU. KPU, yeah. Mm -hmm. So now they're all kind of, in some ways, they're really not competitors, I guess, because well, in some ways they are, but in other ways yeah. they, they also have their own kind of areas. Mm -hmm. But is, is that ever, I guess with the cell phones, it might be. There is a lot of competition, but also the networks are interconnected, ton of competition, but also these networks, you know, you got to tra pass traffic back and forth. They're often mm -hmm. each other's best customers because you got to get your call from here across the state and that's going to go across someone else's network. I, I remember one of my, my biggest frustrations when I was commercial sales at GCI, we'd, we'd run into um, ACS a lot and mm -hmm. whether it's like switching numbers or mm -hmm. switching trunks or doing, you know, there's like rules about they have mm -hmm. to kind of work. Everybody has to work together. Yeah. But you know, Sometimes it took a long time to get what you needed. <laughs> if they're taking a customer and you need this information and mm. there's, there's always a little bit of kind of back and forth on that stuff. A little rubbing like in race car driving. You're like, uh, can we please get this? You know, we need this number yeah. switched or yeah. this trunk switched. Well, and it's incredibly complex too. You know, all of these systems are technical, incredible amount of rules and regulations mm -hmm. to keep everything flowing smoothly. So, um, it seems like sometimes every aspect of telecom, when you start looking at it, it's this incredibly complex, like an iceberg below of regulations so, and rules. For example, with AC ACS, they're, they're, they're kind of the, the local exchange carrier. Yes. So they're federally kind of mandated. They have to provide uh, phone service, right? You have to provide voice service, yes, right. by so, federal so rules. And, and that's like, the, they just kind of became that a long time ago, or is that? Oh, is, yeah. That's a legacy um, Alaska Communications um, has developed over many decades from other companies that over the years um, purchases and merged together. And this is before my time, so I'm a little mm -hmm. shaky talking about it. But yeah, they they have a long history in Alaska. So when you guys are having the meetings, do you ever does the GCI and ACS or the you know MT do they ever get in like ah you know no no I was pretty copacetic or well it we have 
really a great group of competitors that come together. Um, that sounds corny. We get around a table and we talk about issues. Um, I can't think of a time when it's gotten antagonistic. We do hash out, you know, policy or what we would like to see happen in certain areas as a group with frank conversations. But no, it's never, I would never say it's antagonistic. So Alaska is, you know, such a new state. And um, I know there's this, what's the, what's the um, quintillion deal? That's mm-hmm. kind of a the fiber line up there. But I mean, we're, where are we at? Would you, I mean, just to kind of guess where are we, where, where are we at compared to where we need to be? Like mm, gosh. with our telecom grid or, you know, I mean, are we like 10%, 20%? I mean, what do you think, how we, much more of the work, work is there to get Alaska up to like lower 48? A lot. These we cities? need to go a lot further. Um, we've come an exponential advance for broadband service. If you look back 2010, I have a map that shows the, the basic infrastructure, so the backbone, what we call middle mile, virtually didn't exist 20, 10 years ago. Now we have a, the start, we have a pretty good advance where you've got a lot of middle mile going, but we have a long ways to go. How many, so well, there's a few big cables, right, to there's Seattle? or four cables to Seattle, and you've got a cable, a couple cables up the Dalton Highway to the North Slope. You've got the quintillion fiber kind of wrapping around the upper part of the state. You've got a massive microwave network called Terra going out in southwest and northwest. That's a GCI pro- mm-hmm. project. That's yeah, a GCI right. project. Um, but that still leaves a lot of communities that need to be connected. We need a lot more capacity. Um, some That's of- the challenge is, you know, when I, when I was at GCI, some of the, you know, the capacity and the, the prices for rural internet. I mean, sometimes it can be just exorbitantly high. It can, you know, we're at Anchorage here. So we think, Oh, you know, a couple yeah. hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks for internet, but out there much, much, much higher. The costs are higher. The, the, the prices are higher. The costs are higher. And, you know, think of it this way. It's not just building the network Then you have to pay for the helicopter to go out there and fuel it every year. Um, there's just incredible, incredibly high operating expenses. Um, I think we are making a lot of projects progress. There's a lot of funding being talked about in DC and that's what we need is investment. You know, the, the companies have all invested their own capital. They've gotten, um, federal funding and it's all getting plowed into these networks, but we're only about 15 companies and we're trying to connect, we're trying to connect, you know, 22% of the U S 15 small companies. So, so now with the COVID situation, I'm, I'm imagining it's, it's very, um, kind of, priority for these telecoms to make sure to get people, everybody, especially kids going to school remote or people working remote. Has this this been a big impact and I mean, point of discussion with the telecoms? Definitely. So when things first started shutting down late February, early March, uh, every company um, signed on for the FCC's pledge to keep Americans connected, I think it was called, which meant um, suspending disconnects. We're not disconnecting people during the COVID crisis. We're not charging late fees. The I think the bigger part was every company ran out and made sure the students and teachers in their areas were connected. Um, free service for students and teachers. Um, more capacity on some of the limited networks you only use a certain amount. Expanding that. Um, some communities like KPU, they increase speeds immediately. So it was a range of things to make sure students and teachers well, were connected. It's just kind of so crazy to think about. I'm 35, so you know I grew up... And there was really, there was kind of the beginnings of internet when I was in school, but it was like AOL, that, <laughs> that sound yeah. and, um, you know, but now it's like 
everybody just, I mean, 90% of just depend on it to, yeah. to, to every day, yeah. whether it's a cell phone or whether it's, you know, the internet, mm-hmm. checking email, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if, if you've ever lost your phone or if you ever, mm-hmm. you, you, or something happens with your internet, you're just like, fuck, mm-hmm. like, you know, and it's like, it's horrible to have to feel that way. Well, it's kind of it's, nice. it's, it's like it controls you. The technology almost controls us. Well, that's the nice thing with commercial fishing. I'll just digress a little. When you go out commercial fishing, put your phone away. Your phone doesn't even work on the beach and you just work physically for hours, sometime days. And it's a real reset from that. Because I, think everybody need, I think everybody needs that. I do too. I, mean, I, I was listening to the Bill Maher last Friday, Friday night and they were having a discussion about this kind of culture, cancel culture stuff, but they were talking about the social media and how most people with the exception of a few kind of celebrity types, most people aren't programmed to like deal with hunt, you know, hundreds or sometimes thousands of people mm-hmm. critics, you know, hitting them yeah. from all, yeah. you know, Twitter, f- Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just become this thing where before you might have so many X amount of interactions per day or per week or per, you know, and now you could have exponentially more than that mm-hmm. with, with, yeah. with social media and with, you know, technology. It's, it's like a brand new pressure, but also just step away. You know, if people can step away once in a while, I love it. I, I love my social media, love the internet. I love being able to get information. So I was a librarian for years too in Dillingham. Oh, really? The way to, you can just pick up your phone and get information now compared to when we were in school, going into the library, trying to dig something up. I love that. See, I think it cuts both ways because mm-hmm. when I was in college, there's obviously the internet, but... I did a history degree, so I was, it was the library a lot, finding books and, you know, sources and research. And a friend of mine's a lawyer, and uh, he was telling me that one of their, his kind of mentors is an older lawyer, and said, there's a real problem now with lawyers, that they can all basically tell you, like, where to go, or they can cite, like, it's easy to find the case or the history or, or the um, background of something. But he said when, when, when his mentor was a lawyer, when he was younger, they didn't have the ability to do that. So they had to find everything. And in the process of finding everything, they, they read through and they could yeah. understand how they got there. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like, you can cite something, but you don't really maybe understand all of the uh, history of how that arrived mm-hmm. to that decision. Well, and I think doing it analog in paper, I retain a lot more. If something's really important, I need, I know this is an order, an FCC order or something I'm going to need to work with. I print that thing out and read mm-hmm. it because it sinks I, in. I still read books. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot of my friends have the Kindle and I actually, I brought this up on the radio a while ago and some people texted me and they were like, basically like, are you like stupid? Because <laughs> I said, my friend's Kindle was telling me that you can, so I'm, I'm reading books a lot. I read not a lot of nonfiction mm-hmm. and you know, history books or whatever. And some of the, there's a word once in a while you come across like, what is that word? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that, yeah, what that yeah. word is. So you got to like get your phone or get a dick, you know, Google it. Sure. But apparently the Kindle probably probably know this you can press the word and it tells you that you know the definition yeah. right there because there's a dictionary attached to it it does but i keep i have a kindle because you can put so much on it but it accidentally activates that feature all the time and i'm like no stop go back i was reading this and i didn't ask you to define some random word for me See, i didn't i didn't know it did that until and then i yeah. said it on the radio and somebody texted me and was like are you like this has been around for 10 years <laughs> but i just like holding the book and making you- notes in the book and you kind of like have it it's it's well, I found this book at Bishop's Attic written by Ernest Grinning. Oh, nice. And it's a history of Alaska up to, I think it was written in the 50s. It's amazing. And I've just been reading through it. The cover's shredding, but yeah, I'm learning so a lot. So wrote that book? Yeah. It's a great book. I don't remember the title, but he wrote a history of Alaska. I'd like to borrow that book. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm learning so much and I've lived here my whole life and I'm learning so much about how Alaska developed from this book. 
just this this dusty book I found on the shelf at a thrift store. I know. I love I love finding old books. Like yeah. I got I got a bunch of old books that yeah. you kind of go back and read them, and you're like, whoa, this yeah. is like how far we've come. But then it's a mental effort. Put down the social media and read this really cool book that you're enjoying. That's nice when you're like a, you know in the cabin, or like you're in yeah. the wilderness. Just it's it's like you don't worry about it because it's it's you can't do anything. It's it's when you're in the city when you you know. Mm-hmm lose your connection, lose your internet, then you're like, ah. But the internet is actually advancing um, both. So we go to a cabin up north of Palmer. Um, there's internet there. It's. I think it's going to be a discipline to decide when you do. And well, even, even now, like, you know, on the planes, you used to not have, it was yeah. the kind of the plane was where you did the chance to disconnect. But now they have the, the go-go and the. Yeah. Speaking of old books, there's a book you should read. It's called Extreme Conditions by a guy named John Strohmeyer. Have you heard about that? No. He was up here in the 90s. He was like a Pulitzer Prize winner, and he taught at UAA, I think, and he, he was visiting, and he wrote a book about the kind of history of oil in Alaska. Oh, that would be good. Fascinating book, yeah. Oh. But it's just kind of what you're talking about, this history yeah. of, you read all about all kinds of things that were going, mm-hmm. especially with oil, when the money started like coming that. in. and Well, because I remember, so we lived in Moose Pass when they were building the pipeline. There was a couple summers, trains and trucks all summer bringing pipe, stacks of pipe going up to build the pipeline and being about a 10 year old at the time, I think, huh, what are they doing? What is this all about? I mean, this is what's big hap- change in our state. Yeah. yeah. Um, other thing I want to talk about. So there's this kind of ongoing nine one one dispatch issue, which, which you guys are impacted by. And I did yeah. an article on this a few months ago yes. and I reached out to you to kind of ask, mm-hmm. you know, for some background comments. So, so basically um, the state announced kind of, strange like it was it was a meeting in Palmer City Council and they announced they were going to Department of Public Safety was going to put a 911 dispatch center in Palmer and it kind of surprised a lot of folks um including maybe maybe most most especially Gary Knopp who just was killed mm. last week um because there's and I didn't really know much about this till I started doing the story but there's a 911 dispatch center in Soldatna uh Ketchikan um Anchorage and then there's one in Fairbanks and they wanted to kind of, I guess the plan was consolidate down to one in the Valley, but the legislature put in language in their, in their last budget that to not do that because you wanted to have basically, so let's talk about, I mean, the fact that closing the Soldatna uh, center and Ketchikan center. And I talked to mayor dial mm-hmm. in Ketchikan, I guess their goal is to have one center in, in South central but then the problem was it wasn't really talking a little bit about how it was done, but then the challenges of not being able to, you know, call if you're in catch or Soldatna and you end up in talking to somebody in Palmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's complicated first. Well, and actually first is, um, rep Knopp. He was, I didn't know him until we started looking into this issue. And he was real mad about this deal. He was really rolling up his sleeves to understand it. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's the telecom piece. There's the dispatchers piece. There's the troopers. Um, there's incredibly specific technology involved. And when I first met Rep Knopp, he had been trying to digging in. He realized there were a lot of concerns being raised. And so he said, I don't know much about this really intricate realm, but I'm going to find out. And, um, just, just such a great guy, very genuine asking questions. Um, he was on the working group that governor uh-huh. Dunleavy appointed. So, um, it was very, very sad to lose him. I, I was very much appreciating working with him. Um, so that will be a loss, definitely a loss to all of us. Um, but the project itself, um, the goal. Let's just go back. There was yeah. there's a working group now. There's a working group and now. I don't want to 
I don't want to brag or anything, but I wrote an article and then this working group, <laughs> those things well, might be connected. The working group, um, Governor Dunleavy, um, I know was hearing a lot from a lot of folks that had concerns and questions about what what was happening with 911 dispatch uh, for the troopers. So he uh, put out an administrative or executive order, administrative order, um, forming this working group that pulled all the stakeholders together, which is the best thing I think that could have happened because now you have what should have ha- that's probably what should have happened in the first place. I think it's a really positive mm-hmm. way to do it. You know, you just bring everybody that has questions that has expertise. Because the thing, the interesting thing in the RFP that that I read that I wrote about was was everything um, pointed to Anchorage for this whole RFP, and they were, they were going to move to Anchorage, and everything was going to happen, and um, and then there was this legislative intent language about not having it, this 911 centralized dispatch center. So then all of a sudden there was no mention of Palmer. And then one day there was like a fucking meeting in Palmer and they announced it and it was like a rope-a-dope. You know, it was like a bait and switch because the legislative intent language is pretty clear about not, but they didn't say Palmer, they said Anchorage. So that's yeah. when the whole thing kind of blew up. Yeah, I think that... That was at the point where um, the governor said, hey, let, let's bring the stakeholders together and really lay out what the plan is and get all the stakeholders to put in their expertise on the plan. And that's what's happening right now. Um, the plan was to have two collapsed or consolidated dispatch centers, one in Fairbanks, one in um, Anchorage. And then that, like you say, that was moved to be in Palmer uh, because of the legislative intent language saying, don't build this in Anchorage. Um so that's happening right now. You've got the telecom people, you've got the dispatch community, you've got law enforcement, um, all just looking at this in detail to say what was the idea, uh, what's positive, what are our recommendations going forward? Mm-hmm. Because we do want to have um, robust 911 services across Alaska. Well, two, two of the big, when I was doing the story, two of the big kind of, and you read all these letters and back and forth and correspondence and talking to folks, two of the biggest challenges to me seemed one is if I'm in Soldotna or if I'm in Southeast South Central Alaska or somewhere and I call this dispatch center and catch can or Soldotna, um, the person there, you know, if they don't know exactly where I am, they might know kind of where I, if I can describe that. And if you call somebody in Anchorage, they might have no idea what you're talking about. And the other problem is if you call 911 and it ends up being an EMS thing and not a public safety thing, they have to route it back, the call back. And so part of this is telecom based because you have the capacity of carrying these calls back and forth. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, t- there's money and there's also kind of the network making mm-hmm. sure you don't lose drop calls or, mm-hmm. so there's all kinds of like complexities. Well, those are some of the things we're discussing right now. So we are telecom experts and we've identified, you know, there's costs to haul a call across the state to Fairbanks, significant costs. A lot of places don't have the connectivity except for a satellite. So you have to buy a satellite connection, which is big bucks. So we are identifying that. The other pieces about how does dispatch flow, and this is something Rep. Knopp was really trying to understand. Um, we do have dispatch experts on this working group talking about if someone calls and they need a trooper and a fireman and a paramedic, how does that process to get those dispatched mm-hmm. most efficiently? Um, we've been talking a lot about that actually last week. Um, and I am learning from the dispatch experts because that's not you know, my background, but that's the real strength of having this working group with everyone at the table. So now the working group was, was formed, I think last month or maybe Uh, late June, mid June. So that's ending. We have to have a, we will be delivering our report and recommendations to governor Dunleavy by September 1st. So I got to ask you, um, there's been some pretty, um, 
strongly worded letters from from a certain commissioner price uh, i've I've gotten a lot of them but how do you uh how do you <laughs> how do you respond to those <laughs> well i think well, some of them are very strongly worded what we've been doing is just working with the working group you know the department of public safety has uh representatives two representatives on the working group at the table so just a lot of good questions back and forth uh with the stakeholders you know a lot of people have been asking questions of the Department of Public Safety. Um, Department of Public Safety has asked questions of the other stakeholders. So really pulling that all into the working group forum so everyone can see the information and talk about it together. I think that, that it is very productive. So is the is the Palmer thing basically on hold for now, I guess, until this working group concludes? Because they, they kind of made a deal with the city of Palmer, didn't they? As I understand it, everything is on hold pending the recommendations of the working group, which will go to Governor Dunleavy. Um, and and I, I I think that's why we're on, this is a very compressed timeline. September 1st yeah, is aggressive. Fast. A lot of times these things are like six months or something. It's fast. And we are working multiple, I think I had five meetings with a working group in different subgroups last week, and there'll be at least that many this week. Um, so everyone on it is just putting everything, everything we can into it to get the best information and the best recommendations. And then I think um, the governor will get the report and then he and his team will look at it and decide next steps. And this, this affects, actually, I, I mentioned there was, was there's a Wasilla um, dispatch center as well. So this Matt affects Palmer. what? MTA, GCI, KPU. I, it's going to affect all the telcos in the state to one extent or another. You know, if you have to change, or, there's two big pieces for the telcos that we're focused on. One is where do you deliver that call? If someone calls 911 anywhere in the state, where should that, who's going to pick up the phone and where? Um, we don't make that decision, but it's our job to haul that call. Um, right now, we're not having to call haul all the calls halfway across the state and the big question in our mind is that's a new cost. How is that paid for? It's a crippling cost. Isn't the other kind of, and this has been discussed national level with 911 Mm -hmm. with cell phones. Now it's oftentimes you call somebody and from a cell phone and you're middle of nowhere, um, or even if you're in a city, it's hard to know where that person is. And isn't there a kind of a geo tracking function they're trying to figure out. So when you call Mm -hmm. instead of there's been situations where people have been on the phone and they're like dying and they can't find them. Yep. The FCC, that's the, you know, the federal regulator, they have been um, adopting multiple orders to increase the accuracy of uh, locations for 911 calls from cell phones. It takes um, upgrades to technology, upgrades to the equipment on the towers. Your phone has to be capable of it. So uh, there are... um, Definitely federal efforts to increase that. There's in-state efforts. The location, we they call it phase two location. So when you call, the dispatch center can see where you are from your cell phone. I mean, all of us with the smartphones, have, they have the G- GPS. So mm-hmm. you, Most you of the would, newer ones would be, do. You'd think it would be, I guess, not always straightforward, but to, to re- relay that GPS location yeah. to... Uh, so if you call in Anchorage or uh, Fairbanks, probably that information is going to be transmitted the other piece is the, the dispatch center has to have their equipment capable to receive it. And that is happening. The big question we're grappling with is um, how soon can we extend that capability out beyond, you know, kind of the rail belt and the developed areas? You know, they have it in Bethel now. They just turned it on in uh, Kotzebue, I understand. But uh, it's not, it's a huge, um, it's a huge infrastructure improvement. So what we're looking at is what's the right timeline for doing that? How soon can we get there? 
because everywhere we can improve that, that's that's a great enhancement to public safety. So that's what we're really grappling with and trying to figure out and deliver that more of those answers to the working group. I've come a long way since I was a kid when right? you're like seven or eight, you're like, let's call 911, you know, and like the stupid, you know, and you always get in, I did it one time, I got in so much trouble. Oh, that's bad. Because they can't, like, they call back and they, can't, they, they came over, you know. They, yeah, they come over. My, my, um, I just tell my funny story. My friend was telling me that he lives on the hillside. His, uh, his buddy, when he's retired, and he came home, I think it was this summer, and maybe it was last summer, but he was telling me, he came home and he, he opened the door and he saw the, 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 sc- the screen of the back door. He has kind of pretty big house on the hillside, mm-hmm. so there's a deck and a door, and he saw the screen was all tore up. Mm-hmm. And, and he, like, somebody got in, right? And he's yeah. like, fuck. So he, he goes outside, gets in his car, he calls 911, he's like, um, I just got home. Somebody's in my house. Like the, the, you know, like, can you hurt you? Like what's And they said, sure. Yeah. So then he's kind of like, wait. And he's like, he's like curious. And he's like, what's going on? Is there somebody in my house? Like, like what's, and he goes in there and then he like, he feels like a total idiot upon, for, upon further inspection. He realized his dog had like torn, like oh. torn it up really bad. And the wait, so he called back and he goes, look, I, I'm, I'm very horribly sorry. Um, everything's fine. It was my dog. Like, like, don't worry about it. And they were like, Sir, like, are you under duress? Like, do you have, like, do you, like, yeah. So, so they thought it's pretty smart, actually. Yeah. Is somebody sure. with you? Like, do you have a gun? Like, are you under duress? Do you have a gun to your head? Yeah. He's like, look, 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 no. And they still sent officers up. Yeah. To make sure that he was like not, yeah. you know, nothing was wrong. Being held hostage or something. Yeah. I mean, it's so growing up in a law enforcement family, it is just amazing the dedication that the law enforcement professionals have. I mean, they're truly there to help people make sure nothing bad is happening. Um, and there's just great people too. You know, I think back to my dad and his friends and the stories they would tell and, and the hard things that they experienced, um, and the sacrifice, it, it truly is sacrifice and it takes a toll. So I did a podcast with the head of the police Anchorage police um, union mm. last week. And we had a really good talk about all this kind of police stuff going yeah. on now. And yeah. Yeah. I just, it, I think right now the narrative is really focused in one direction and um, I'll be happy when it swings back to all the good things that our law enforcement are doing. Yeah. I was um, talking with a police union guy and we did a podcast with Bill Evans too. He's running for mayor, Anchorage mayor and former cop, but we're talking about how um, I watch Bill Maher every week and a while back he had, he had said like with this George Floyd stuff and all this, you know, like great talk of reforms and how do we better policing, mm-hmm. community police, like mm-hmm. mental health care, social work. And, and he's like, like, leave it to these fucking people to call it like defund the police. Like you have all these great ideas and then you call it defund, mm-hmm. like, which loses mm-hmm. like 70% of people mm-hmm. right off the bat. Oh yeah. And the, the most successful policing, when I think about my dad, his one of the biggest things he did was just go have coffee with people. You know, he was patrolling the Kenai Peninsula. And so he would stop in, you know, Summit Lake Lodge, have coffee, have lunch. See, it's not, it's not like that, right? If I feel like... That's not what you hear right now. But a lot of policemen, that's how they operate. They know people. It's relationships. It's, you know, it truly is, you know, That's how it should people. be. I mean, it having is. Commu- it's community, the best. you know, policing where you know yeah. the community and yeah. you know who you're dealing yeah. with. And I don't know if they're still calling it that, but that's really what that was even mm-hmm. in the 70s. I got to ask you, so you live in the Valley, you're kind of involved with the Republican, aren't you kind of in the bonus vote or? I'm the Republican, yeah, I'm a Republican. I'm, I'm a recovering, I, I'm non-partisan, so <laughs> well, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm no longer part of the party. Yeah, well, you're running as a non-partisan, right? And I switched to non-partisan as oh, well, you did? my okay. voter registration, yeah, yeah so. Yeah. No, I'm a Republican, District 7 in the Valley. So this, now this is, I got to ask you because I just came across this, you live in Lynn, the Lynn Gaddis uh, 
Colleen Sullivan Leonard now, yes. and now it's mm-hmm. Lynn Gaddis, Christopher Kirka in the primary. Mm-hmm. So I came across this mailer. I always ask people for mailers, and I mm-hmm. people send me the mailers. There is a horrible mailer I'm looking at here against Lynn Gaddis. Lynn Gaddis voted for SB91, which is fine, but they used a picture of her. Have you seen this? I Yeah. Did you get this? Yeah, it came to my house. We got this one of those at my house. It's horrible. Well, and the thing is, the picture is not not a nice picture, intentionally, obviously. I, I think that's not even her. Like, they, they've... They made her face look a lot bigger. I think I don't even think that's her her hand. Yeah, I think it's I think it's, it's like a photoshopped hand yeah, over her mouth. Yeah, something's going on with it. But you know, it's nice to get good content on the mailers. Where what are you going to do? What kind of changes mm-hmm. are you going to make? Um, uh, so Lynn lived across the lake from me. I think she. Oh, uh, do Cottonwood it. Lake. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been over, I've been to her house. Yeah. So you live on the lake? I don't live on the lake. I live uphill from the lake. Uh, but when I go kayaking. You're like one of the Campbell Lake people. You're like just off lake. I'm off lake. You can see it. Like half a mile off lake. No, you can't see it. But you can drive downhill and kayak. But, you know, those mailers, all they do is say, they make me wonder, well, what are you going to do? Why why are you Mm -hmm. sending a mailer like that? Tell me what you're going to do in Juneau. I think campaigns have to be about, I mean, I think it's totally fair and appropriate to contrast and, Mm -hmm. you know, tell tell people about your opponent. Mm -hmm. But you also have to tell people, what are you going to do? What do you think? Mm -hmm. Like, like, why are you better? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, but, but. People always say, mm-hmm. it's funny, they always say they hate the neg- negative ads, negative mm-hmm. mail, attack ads, but people always do them. Well, because and I guess research they're, shows they're, effect, they're effective. They're very effective. But, they're, they're well, very which effective. makes me, I just say, hey, tell me what you're going to do. Tell me, and it's fair to tell me what your opponent did or did not do. You know, I, I support Lynn. I think she did. Um, she will do a good job. And she she didn't hit the ground running, which we mm-hmm. need right now. We have, there's yeah, she, a Lynn's, lot of work Lynn's, ahead of us. I've, I've known her for years and mm-hmm. she was... Um, you know, it was kind of like, I think everybody thought she was going to win the Senate race in 16. And it was like, they were delayed. They were in Juno, And, you know, um, I heard David Wilson was, this is like crazy. It's very smart. But I heard he was going to all the senior centers and being like, Lynn wants to send you away. You know, because oh, no. remember the whole article <laughs> years ago when she made that oh. comment about the seniors maybe going to the lower 48 and they like, they spun it around. And Well, yeah, because that was not, I remember that now, but that was not. That was literally misquoted oh, because that's not what she was saying. But. Well, there was actually a satire article that was written about Lynn Gaddis wants to send the seniors on ice flows. And that satire article was reported like accidentally as, oh. like, as like a real article, you know, like as, as a, a real, real article. So she was in Juno stuck and, and, you know, David Wilson was telling the old folk like, Hey, she wants to send you. Away. <laughs> well, I think very effective. Well, yeah, I never heard about that, but it does show you how hard it is for these folks to put themselves out there. I mean, oh, think I mean about, I, well, and you yourself, I tell people, I mean, you know, this is like controversial. Um, a lot of people don't like it, but I think we should pay legislators a lot more. I do too. Like, I totally like do. Because you'll, cause mm-hmm. 50 grand, you know, you have to go to Juno for three months and it's actually five or six months normally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a job or a family, mm-hmm. uh, it's you just very challenging. It. You can't work. I mean, unless mm-hmm. you have a very, like if you're in the oil business mm-hmm. or maybe a labor union or maybe mm-hmm. a lawyer or something, mm-hmm. or you're retired, but it's very mm-hmm. difficult for a regular person working person mm-hmm. with a family to just say, oh, I got to leave for three, maybe six mm-hmm. months. So I think we should pay them a lot more. I agree. Take away the per diem, mm-hmm. just pay them a big, big, great salary like Singapore. Mm-hmm. And you can't have any other job while you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. you're done, you have to wait maybe, I don't know, a year mm-hmm. or some six months to go in certain industries. Mm-hmm. But that, that, that is a, cause I, I say, you got to go to Juno. You got to mm-hmm. deal with people like me saying all <laughs> well, kinds of stuff about you. You got to have mailers like this sent out about you, which, Oh, you know, if you want to, it's tough. People, I think it, probably takes a toll and we want to have really well-equipped people going to Juno and, and doing our business. Um, I think we have some great people down there. I know we do. I'm, you know, I've 
it's part of my job to talk to a lot of legislators and talk to them about broadband. And there's some really great people down there. But well, some of them are like, are they like, are they like internets, like series of tubes? <laughs> nope, you know? nope. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> nope. I have not run into that at all. Um, the one thing I've found over the last few years, people are more interested in broadband. Um, and then since the pandemic, all of a sudden it's like, hey, where are those broadband people? We have to have more broadband uh-huh. now, which we totally agree, agree with. So. Now, no, a lot of interest and a lot of increasing understanding of it. Yeah, no, it's going back to, the, I mean, the, the 60 people that are essentially the kind of board of directors of our mm-hmm. of our state. So, you well, know. they should be compensated for what they're we're, doing. We're dealing I with mean, billions of dollars. And now where it's mm-hmm. even worse with deficit, mm-hmm. there's no money, the savings are gone. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it's it's an unpopular people. People get all hung up on the per diem and I'm over here like, pay them more, you know? Well, and just make it simple. Um, just pay him a salary. Pay him, pay him a good salary. You know, yeah. need, nobody needs to be getting rich, but also, you know, you're trying to entice people with that have professional expertise or, or whatever expertise the voters want. They probably have to give up another job. Well, the that. biggest reason I say we should pay more is because I've interacted with so many people before who friends of mine or people I know in the community. And I say, you should run for office. And they always say, mm-hmm. almost always say, are you fucking crazy? I make this much money. I got this job. I have a family. I don't mm-hmm. want to like go to get a Juno for, mm-hmm. for half the year and then go back for special sessions and, and then deal with people like me, <laughs> <laughs> which sucks. Yeah. Well, it's been a great podcast, Christine yeah, O'Connor. Yeah, super fun. Yeah, good. To, we had a lot of topics. Yeah. Fishing, yeah. telecom, mm-hmm. attack mailers. Libraries. Library. So you mm-hmm. were a librarian. Librarian. For yeah. how long? Seven years. Wow. so fun. How, yep. how, is there a big library in Dillingham? Or? Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice library. And um, what we did, so living in Dillingham, and this is, Amazon was just getting going. So online ordering was just starting. So this is like early or mid 2000? Um, 98 through 2005. So yeah. I got to ask, were you married or no? Married. You were married? Mm-hmm. I was married. Okay, I was so I'm married, say, had two little kids. Okay. I was going to so. say if like, sometimes like the library, like the single librarian, like, Hey, what are you doing later? <laughs> you can get that? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> there's, like, what, there's a thing about the library, you know, there's a thing. Of, no, not like that. So what we did was we had, um, became after school, after school hangout. You totally blew my train of thought. After school hangout for middle schoolers, which was so fun. Middle schoolers are the most fun. They just say anything. They're kind oh, of yeah, dorky. I friends with kids. and Yeah. So what the library was, we had, I would always order all the new bestsellers, all the hot books off Amazon. Cause that, I just loved having fresh materials in the library. So daytime before school got out, we had people coming in, getting all kinds of good books. We served coffee. And then when school got out, it was like the middle schoolers hangout, which was just, it wasn't a quiet library at that point, but it's really fun. So when you're a librarian, I have to imagine everybody's asking you like, have you read this book? Yeah. Like, so you, I assume read a lot of books, but how, how many times are you saying, I have not read that book. I'm sorry. So many times, so many times. Cause I would be like reading some old novel or some old mystery and uh, I didn't read the new stuff as often as a lot of the library patrons did. What about, um, do they, do they say, what, what do you have a recommendation? What should I read? Not very often. No, people would come in, they like to browse. So we would put all the new books, you know, kind of placed around the shelves. I really used, in those days loved Borders and Barnes and Noble. Yeah, so we, like, to, we used to have the Borders that. here. Yeah. Lyman. Oh yeah. And I still I still go to Barnes. I, mm-hmm. I love Barnes Me and Noble. Me too. Well, I would come in from Dillingham to shop or whatever, and that was the one of the things that I really missed having living in Dillingham. So I was like, I'm going to make this library like a Barnes and Noble. So we had free coffee. We had 
you know, lots of fresh books, lots of people coming yeah, and going. Yeah, you have to get it, give, them, give them reason to come in. The fire, mm-hmm. fireplace is nice. We had we did not have a fireplace. Barnes Noble has a fireplace. We had there. easy chairs, though. Oh. No fireplace. So this is a city, mm-hmm. so you had like a budget or you kind of? Yep. City owned, we had a budget. The state, li- uh, state of Alaska has grants for libraries, so that would help to buy a lot of new books. Not huge, but it helped. We were volunteer, so there, myself was a half- some years, three quarter times, some years, we had a lot of volunteers to staff in the evening. So it's really a community center type thing. It was really fun. Wow. Yeah. You don't get rich being a librarian, but it was fun. Yeah. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Well, Christine O'Connor has been a great podcast. We've covered a lot of topics. Uh, We'll have to do it again. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, Thank you. Great, great conversation. Yeah. First podcast. This was great. Are you going back to the Valley? Uh, Yes. You have, you have a good week. It's it's August already. I'm starting to get a little... It's almost September, which means it's like going to be cold. I know. I'm watching for yellow leaves and then tell myself, don't look for the yellow leaves. It's still summer. Did you bring any fish back or do you just Oh, yeah. Out? We brought 230 pounds of fillets. Okay, My daughter you, is a magic fillet. Do you have any extra? Oh, there we go. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot for coming on, Christina. It's been great talking to you. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one.